You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I interviewed Tommy and Luke over at Raw Milk and Deadlifts and picked their brain on all things raw milk, small farms, gardening, and just natural living. And so I'm really excited to get into this conversation because there's a lot of stigma out about dairy and is raw milk safe? Should you drink raw milk? And we get into all of those things. But before we do, I will just answer that, that raw milk is one of, in my opinion, the most healing foods. It's inc- incredible. I have a family member who is lactose intolerant from a surgery and is able to easily tolerate raw milk because it has all of the nutrients that you need to absorb it. So if you have been maybe on the fence or wondering what are the health benefits of raw milk, what are things that you want to look for, this podcast will be very helpful for you. We also talk about different things you want to look for with your farmers, questions to ask. They give some really good tips on just simple gardening. So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. It was so fun talking with them. I learned a lot, and I know that you will too. All right, Luke and Tommy, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I'm so excited to dive into all things raw milk and deadlifts, as is your social media platform. And so, you know, introduce yourselves a little bit to the audience, talk a little bit about your background. I always love hearing people's journeys on, you know, what kind of led them to what they do now. And so I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear both of your stories on, you know, what that looked like for you. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you um, again so much for having us on. This is Tommy speaking. And yeah, you know, our um, story is we're lifelong best friends, uh, been best pals since kindergarten. And now, obviously, we're super passionate about raw milk and similar things, you know, sourcing proper foods, um, living off of the land as close as possible, living in alignment with nature as close as possible. But we definitely didn't grow up farming, nor did we ever expect to farm growing up. And really what kind of led us down that rabbit hole that, you know, eventually landed us on the great conspiracy of raw milk is, um, (laughs) we, it was really kind of in high school, just getting into the basic, you know, trends of organic eating and more holistic health and kind of seeing how the mainstream system is flawed in many ways. And it started off with pretty much just like, let's eat all organic, right? Um, let's, let's look at more natural ways instead of maybe popping pills for inflammation, you know, cause we were both athletes and just that type of stuff. And as that continued through high school, and then after we both graduated and, um, I came down to Southern Virginia and Luke went to um, eventually went up to Maine. We, we kind of just realized that really, if you're into health, um, when it comes to food, the, the best way to get the healthiest food on the earth is either to know exactly the farms where it comes from or to grow it yourself. So that's kind of how we got led into farming. And then it was funny because during those years, we both were pretty much dairy free, right? Because that's a huge narrative, even in the holistic health movement. Dairy causes mucus, dairy causes inflammation. Um, so we were on the nut milks, oat milks, and everything. And we kind of heard raw milk talked about a lot. And through our own experiences, because we were in different locations at the time, 
kind of started to find it and quickly realized um, how different it was. And, and Luke can also tell, especially uh, normal milk used to make him break out a lot. And I know, you know, raw milk was like a complete game changer for him. Yeah. So yeah, Tommy and I started off in high school, just getting into fitness and the fitness kind of led into uh, the health obsession. And then the health obsession kind of led into the farming. Seems like farming was kind of like the end goal of all of our different interests. And uh, that's a thing you're told a lot growing up is, you know, drink your milk to grow big and strong. And so I was drinking tons of pasteurized milk because I didn't know there was raw milk. And I had terrible skin, really, really bad acne. And it was funny, actually, Tommy, when we were in high school, told me, well, hey, maybe you should lay off the dairy. I laid off the dairy and I, I cleared up. And then I thought, you know, dairy was totally evil. And but I was still in the fitness. And then I, when I was working on a, I started working on a farm and I was still in the fitness. And uh, actually, a, a friend of mine up there said, oh, you know, you should be drinking raw dairy. That's, you know, it'll get you strong. I was like, no, man, dairy's terrible for you. And Maine happens to be a really raw milk friendly state. So I just went to the store down the street and bought some. And I really noticed a giant difference. That's awesome. And so how many years ago would you guys say it was that you got into raw dairy? I think for both of us, it wasn't that long ago. It was 2020, early 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I got into it. Um, yeah, 2019, 2020 sounds right. Yeah, it, I I forget when I started drinking. I remember my dad, I had acne too. And, mm-hmm. you know, for you go down the rabbit hole and you're like, oh, well, you know, everyone says to cut out dairy, so you do it. But then I'm like, well, I love you. Like, I love all the things that dairy's in, yeah. but I know that it's not working for me. And then I remember my dad locally got raw milk and I was like, are you sure that we're not going to get sick from this? Yeah. And I think that was 2017. It was, I think my first or second year of chiropractic school. And so I've been drinking it probably since 2017 and nice. I drink a little bit probably every day and awesome. it doesn't make break me, make me break out. Um, you know, it's just so different. And then you go down the rabbit hole of all that's being taken out of milk. And I remember I was an athlete too. And you know, the thing to do, like when I started working out, even when I was in like seventh, eighth grade, Oh, drink your chocolate milk after your workout, you know, the chocolate and then the milk's got a little bit of the protein, a little carbs, you know, it's like a perfect thing. And then you get into like the protein powders that are just horrible qualities of, of dairy processed and heated. And then you're just like, you know, I'm so aligned with what you guys talk about in terms of living off the land. How did our ancestors eat? I think that stuff's so important. And I mean, raw milk's pretty close to, pretty, I mean, it's the closest thing that you're going to get to, to more natural. And, you know, then comes mm-hmm. the conversation. Well, we're the only mammals that eat other mammals <laughs> milk yeah. and, you know, all of those kind of things, which I'm sure we can kind of address all of those. So, mm-hmm. um, so let's talk a little bit about, I guess, the health benefits of raw milk and what it might be taken out with pasteurization and homogenization. Yeah. I mean, number one thing that, you know, we, uh, from our own personal experience for me was the uh, like, like gut restoration. That was something that, you know, I learned late high school, maybe a few years after, maybe a year or two after high school. And, you know, you try to go on this journey of probiotics to, to heal your gut. You read about, you know, yogurt or kombucha, but I don't think anything really touches raw milk in terms mm-hmm. of the enzymes that's in it and how good it is for your gut. Yeah. And um, so obviously the gut, is a, is a huge part of it. Overall immune system too, because, you know, one of the reasons, which is 
one of the reasons people are scared of raw milk, but it's also the reason why it's so good for your immune system is yes, it's full of germs, right? Mm-hmm. And that most mm-hmm. people hear that and they're like, yeah, that's the problem. But no, us as human beings are full of germs. So it is such a living food that obviously it strengthens um, the entire immune system, the healthy fats that are in it are just so tremendous, especially we noticed in terms of strength with working out, those healthy fats are so obvious in performance and they're so satiating. You're fulfilled yeah. after you drink it. You don't crave, yeah, I dare someone to drink a, a, a tall glass of raw milk and, and tell me that you crave like any other crappy version of dairy, you know? Um, so true. So and think so about like when we were growing up, it was the skim milk craze. Oh, you know, you want to make sure you're drinking skim milk. And I'm like, this stuff is disgusting. And so then when I started working out, you know, my dad would get me whole milk because he's like, this is better. You know, like I was thinner. So I, I wanted to put on muscle. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how did we even grow up drinking skim? This is disgusting. And then then we get, you know, obviously raw whole milk. And it's just like the complete yeah. amazing picture of both. I remember when I first started drinking the raw milk and I noticed I wasn't having bad reactions. I was like, holy crap, what's in this stuff? Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and I see all the vitamins and minerals that are in it. It's all the supplements you see in like a supplement store. Mm. They like have taken out all the vitamins and nutrients in raw milk and are now selling it in, you know, like $60 capsule yeah. bottles. When it's all in the milk already, the vitamin A, the D, the K, the zinc, and it's, every- it's so much more bioavailable in the milk too than a capsule, right? Like it is so much easier for your body to uptake all these, yeah, um, nutrients than if you buy a million different capsules. And uh, yeah, yeah, you talk about the skim milk. My my poor brother grew up drinking lactate, and um, oh no, <laughs> but a testament to that. You know, he can drink raw milk and he has no adverse reaction. We, we grew up always, you know, oh, Will is lactose intolerant, you know, but he can handle raw milk. So it's yeah, really cool. so many people have said that we have a family member who uh, had part of his colon resected. And so obviously that messes up, you know, digestive enzymes. You get a lot of sensitivities and he can do raw milk. You know, mm. He can't do any other form of dairy, like not even yogurt, because, you know, that it still bothers him and yes. he could do raw milk. So. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, do you guys know off the top of your head, like exactly the amount of, I have it somewhere. I, w- I should have brought it for the show, but like the percentage of vitamins that are depleted, like the vitamin A, the vitamin B that, mm. that are depleted with, you know, that heating process that we're we so know, in we, love we with. We don't know off the top of our heads, but I would definitely love to see that because I'm sure it's pretty daunting. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I think I want to say it's at least a 50% reduction Oops. in vitamin A. Obviously, it's synthetic vitamin D. It's not real vitamin D that they're fortifying in these milks. Yeah. And so right. like so many of the, they have to like feel like they need to add things back. Yeah. When you go to the, the grocery store and you look at the milk that's on the shelf, you can look in the ingredients and it's not just milk. It's all those synthetic vitamins. Yeah. So obviously, there's a reason they feel the need to put it back in there. Yeah, and the same yeah. thing goes, goes with nut milks too. You know, they're doing that mm-hmm. same thing with nut milks, um, which is which is kind of funny. Now, now, did you ever have to uh, like? Did you ever go down the period of where you were only consuming nut milks, or did you find raw milk early enough to where you didn't have to uh, like torture yourself too much with that? That's a good. You know, I I did, there was a period where I was I would buy nut milks. Yeah, for a while. And and I even would buy the nut milks like when I was drinking raw milk because I was like, mm. 
I don't want to overdo it. You know, like I don't want to have too much. And so, you know, but then there's like all the gums, all the thickeners, Yeah. you know, the, the almonds are definitely sprayed with glyphosate. And, you know, then I think my roommate in college, she's from the Bay area. And every time we go to Trader Joe's, she's like, do not buy the almond milk. She's like, we don't have any water for the almonds. And um, Mm. I'm thinking about how many people are, you know, just buying and buying and buying these things. And then you go down the rabbit hole of all the ingredients that are in them. And so now we do not buy any nut milks. I haven't bought a nut milks in a long time. I think I bought one to the three trees or the three seeds. I don't know. I bought it here at Wegmans and it was like $5. I still don't, I still didn't even finish it because I just don't enjoy it. It's like, I don't think that it tastes good. And if I have to use a different alternative, I like to do a full fat canned organic coconut milk. But Mm -hmm. again, we don't use those all the time. Like it's pretty much just raw milk that we use in our house, but I did use the nut milks and those are not good. And I know that some people, you know, they, they love them, but a lot of times they're filled with not great things. Yeah, right. And once you taste what those things are trying to emulate, trying to go back to the nut milks, it's it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know some people have good results. Like, what's it called? It's like an at-home uh, nut cow. No, I don't know what it's called. And I know people have, you know, had some results making like their own oat milk or something at home mm-hmm. using just organic oats and water. And, you know, that's fine. But then I think about, I'm like, well, that's just a sugar bomb because there's no naturally occurring fats. There's no naturally occurring protein. So, you know, you just want to make sure you're pairing that correctly or else it's just, you know, super sugary or super carb heavy, um, where that's kind of where milk is arguably, you know, a really natural superfood. It's got all the macronutrients, fat, protein, carbs. It's got all the vitamins, all the minerals. Um, yeah, it, it's funny. We we were eating. Uh, we we're on the road the other day, and we're eating a just a block of raw goat cheese cheddar um, that we found like on the road. And we looked at the nutrition uh, facts, and w- Luke made that comment. He's like, "Dude, the macros on this are exactly what like all these supplements try to emulate. You know, like phenomenal protein, fat, carbs. Like, you know, but it's of course most people." accomplish those macros with completely toxic shakes or bars but it's like this hunk of raw goat cheese is like superior to any supplement and it's hitting all the macros people are into and it's yeah it's it's pretty crazy how nature had this figured out way before the food scientists did i think oh they totally did i mean how you guys are so into you know living off the land and being natural that's like we all should be kind of, we should be all striving for that. And when I walk to the grocery store, I think how disconnected have we truly become that we're trying to create meat from complete chemicals and like non meat sources and how we're trying to emulate things that are naturally found in nature, right? Like there's eggless eggs that you can buy. There's a meatless meat that you can buy. There's dairy free dairy. And it's like, okay, it, To some extent, I, you know, there's some things like coconuts that do have milk and that's Mm -hmm. naturally occurring, but how far are we stretching this and how is that working for our health? Like how are people getting healthier? Cause in my mind as a practitioner, I'd say absolutely not. The people who come to me who are emulating this lifestyle, they're leaps and bounds above the standard American who, you know, are unfortunately victim to the marketing tactics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's really crazy. So you guys have a farm, correct? 
Uh, correct. We we actually uh, manage a farm, so it's not our farm, but yeah, the 300 acres in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains of Southern Virginia, so pretty sweet. That's awesome. And what are the type of things that you guys grow uh, and produce on your farm? So it's mainly a, a homestead scale at this farm, so meaning that um, we don't really do it commercially to sell anything. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, a couple dairy cows, obviously, that we milk by hand. We have um, we have three steers, which for those who don't know farming, that's a uh, castrated male cow that will ultimately be used for beef. So we have three of those right now. Um, we have pigs, uh, chickens for eggs, turkeys for eggs. Uh, rabbits that take up space and I think were just bought because they're very cute <laughs> and then um, and then a bunch of dogs so uh, but but Luke had experience on a commercial organic uh, hog farm up in Maine so he's kind of gotten to see both sides of it you know the homestead and the the commercial side of things which can be very handy yeah that's awesome so so I guess this question is more geared towards Luke if you what were your thoughts on how, you know, conve- was that a conventionally organic farm or what? Yeah, that was, what was that it? was a um, regeneratively uh, rotated awesome. uh, livestock farm. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So speaking to that, so a lot of people say, you know, you know, regenerative farming is just, it's just not doable. We can't feed the world like that, but you with working on one and now obviously on a smaller scale, how do you feel that it's doable? Like, do you feel like it takes a lot more resources or do you feel like it just takes the mindfulness of rotating pastures? And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. It seems yeah, like one of my favorite quotes is, yeah, you can't feed the world that style. You, you can't feed them crap that style, you know, the mm-hmm. crap food that is on, that is in the supermarket. And it's, it's 100% doable. There's farms all across America that do it that do it correctly and show that it's totally sustainable, totally doable on all different kinds of farms. And the big problem um, with American agriculture now is there's millions of acres dedicated to, to two crops, corn and soy. And soy arguably like, does not need to be eaten by humans at all. Maybe there's very little, little time and place for it. And corn doesn't, corn, all that corn is grown to feed livestock. 80% of the corn grown in the U.S. is just to feed cows who aren't supposed to be eating that corn. Um, So, you know, it would take a large, large scale uh, change, but all that land dedicated to growing corn could easily be turned into pasture in just a couple couple of years. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because I think about that too. I think, and even here, you know, I'm in the Finger Lakes and it's, there's a ton of farms here. Um, thankfully we don't live near one because I'm constantly, I have a patient who deals with, uh, administering different farm equipment, but also roundup glyphosate, you know, that stuff. And you'd be surprised at how many, even just small town farmers, you know, that they're growing the corn, they're growing the soy, you know, I, you see it all over the place, Mm -hmm. but then I look at the soil. There's just one right down the road from probably like, I don't know, maybe a mile away from our house. I guess we're somewhat close, but you know, if it rains, that rain will sit there 
for weeks and it will not drain properly. And then I look at our garden that's completely organic, all compost. And if we get a a bunch of rain, the soil just completely soaks it up. And I think, I know that's something that I learned when I was reading Sacred Cow and I I watched their documentary. I'm not sure if, I'm sure you guys did too. It's, are you familiar with Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf? Awesome. That was awesome. And I was thinking about that. And then I started paying attention to all of these, you know, commercial farms that I know that every, you know, these farmers are just trying to, you know, to provide for their family. I'm not meaning to bash it in any way, but it's just, I think if we were to turn these fields, like you said, into regenerative grazing farms, it's not only taking care of the soil, it's obviously better for the environment. And like you said, these animals, these ruminants that are getting the soy and corn, they're not meant to be eating that anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you also brought up a good point when you mentioned how there was um, the farm not far from you with uh, where the where the rain stays. That That's another thing we try to educate people on is like just because a farm is local or family owned or, you know, classified as a small farm, that obviously doesn't mean that they're doing it right either. You know, and, and unfortunately, we, we know a lot of people or I shouldn't say a lot, but we definitely know people at farmers markets who on their own small scale are still spraying like glyphosate or still feeding, you know, their, their cows are still getting lots of corn or whatever it is. So I think it really forces people to have that responsibility to like know where your food comes from and to not, like you mentioned earlier about how people fall victim to marketing to things, to not mm-hmm. fall into what we see is like the newer trend where people are sometimes just giving local farms two thumbs up immediately. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, no, there's, you still have to do your homework, right? Because obviously um, the more that's popularized too, the more that term is going to get thrown around. And then you're going to have probably a lot more local farms who are cutting corners just because they know if they throw local on it, people are going to pay prices, you know, like top, top prices for it. So definitely still have to do your homework um, no matter how close a farm is, you know, to, to where you live. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I'm that person at the farmer's market that I am always like, okay, do you guys spray, you know, do you spray these berries with anything? Cause you know, I always walk in and if it's a berry or it's an apple, you know, we, you know, I know that based on the dirty dozen, the EWGs kind of database of what's commonly sprayed. I just always ask, I even ask, I ask about leafy greens. I pretty much ask about most things, but I'm always consistent about berries because having a garden bugs and are they're all over those things. And so I just want to know, how are you keeping these, these pests away? Are you doing it more naturally? I know there's natural practices that you can do, but you know, I've unfortunately have waited like 10 minutes in line once to get cherries. I get to the beginning. Do you guys spray these cherries? You know, small little farm. Yeah, we do. Okay. Thanks so much. And I just, you know, take my business elsewhere. Just don't buy the cherries. And it's just, it's sad. And it's not like I'm not trying to give my support to local businesses, but I just, I think it's important for people to ask those questions because people might not realize that that's what people want until they start asking questions. They might just be like, okay, we're just, you know, this picture perfect apple, you know, it's going to fly off the shelves and people might not, they they might not realize that just because it's local, these people can still be using these things. It doesn't have to be these big conventional farms to be unfortunately using these chemicals that are not serving our health. Right. And when you go to a farmer's market and if you ask those questions, like a good farmer, a farmer that you want, is going to get excited and is going to want to talk to you about all the things. 
if a farmer's doing everything right, then they really don't have anything to hide. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot of farmers, if you go to a, a farmer's market, the farmers that are doing it right will gladly give you a tour of their farm, gladly show you the ins and outs of their practices. Um, but if a, the conventional farms, you know, you can't, you can't step on the farms without a hazmat suit. Um, I know a, a guy who worked for Costco and he would have to visit um, the farms where they'd get, he was head of like the meat division or something. And he'd visit these giant farms out in Iowa and you'd have to show up. They had to, uh, you'd have to take a shower, then wear their clothes and put a hazmat suit on before you could tour the farm. Cause these animals are, are so sensitive to, to outside germs where a right, a farm that's doing it right. is going to have farm tours. It's going to have, you know, Hey rocks, you know, uh, all the customers are going to be free to wander and, you know, check out the chickens and the pigs and, um, a farmer at a farmer's market. Yeah. All you gotta do is ask those simple questions and see how they react. And that's how you know if they're a good farmer mm-hmm. or not, if they're doing it the correct way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if people feel like they're inconveniencing someone by asking those questions, but in my mind, you're the consumer. You have every right mm-hmm. to know, mm-hmm. you know, you have every right to know what's going into your food and, and how it's being sourced. I remember last year, so there was this place that's down kind of Canandaigua Lake and I saw that they had Concord grapes and I was like, oh, and I know, I know they, that farms in this area are spraying with, mm. with glyphosate for their wines. Cause we live in kind of like wine country uh-huh. in the East coast. And unfortunately I can't drink many of the wines around here. Not that I really drink at all, but if I do, I get a horrible headache. So there's one winery, two wineries I know of for people who are local. It's uh, Herman Weimer and Ventosa that they, they don't spray their grapes. And so I don't get a headache if I do drink their wine. But so I, this, this farmer had Concord grapes. So I went up and I asked, and he said he took over this farm last year. He, it's, he can't say it's fully organic. However, he is transitioning it to fully organic. And he was like, he's probably took 10 minutes with a huge line behind me to explain his goal and his vision for like transforming the entire vineyard yeah. to fully organic and how he's going to do it. And he goes, so even though I can't tell you these grapes are fully organic because we've just been in the process, he goes, I can tell you that there's, we are, have not sprayed on this. Like it's very, it would be very minimal and residual, but like by next year and the year after we plan to be fully organic. And I remember I bought something else from him a, a, a few weeks later before I can't remember. It was, I think some endive or some type of bitter green. And I said, do you spray these? And he just had this big smile on his face yeah. and kind of laughed. He's like, of course not. He goes, he goes, I would not spray. I was like, the only reason I ask is because there's probably 10 other farmers at this market who I do know spray. So I don't mind if I feel sillier. I don't feel like I'm inconveniencing them because most of the time, like you said, they are very happy and very proud of themselves to talk about their practices. For sure. And and you brought up a good point um, about like how he couldn't say he was certified organic. And that's another thing too, especially with a lot of local farms, right? Is it, well, when we kind of first got into health, it was all about organic and the label. And if it didn't have that organic label, then it was unhealthy, right? And that's another thing you realize with a lot of local farms who are doing it right, they're not certified organic for different reasons. One thing is obviously there can be a lot of financial um, you, you know, strain that goes into that. And also to be USDA certified organic, well... You have to remember the USDA is not best friends of many regenerative farms. And uh, 
you know, Joel Salatin from Polyface, who is obviously the most popular one in that field. He had a whole book, you know, pretty much on going to war with them. So um, I think that's another thing for people to understand is sometimes when I think you have the population of people who's used to just shopping at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and, you know, they're kind of separated from the farm. So their only reference is like the organic symbol is, yeah, you're going to encounter so many uh, local farms and the ones who do it right, their food is probably so beyond store-bought organic food, but they just don't have the certification. So I really think that's important for people to understand too is like, yeah, dude, you, you might be buying eggs or beef or produce or whatever from a small, local, sustainable farm that's doing it right. And even though they can't call it organic, it might be 10 times better and more nutritious and mm-hmm. better for the soil than anything you could you know, buy in a grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree. And that's why I tell people, don't just walk up to the farmer and say, is this organic? Because if they're rushed for time and like, if there's a big line, they're going to just say no, because they might not be certified organic. So that's why I say, you know, do you spray with pesticides or what what are your spraying procedures with Mm. the vegetables or fruit? Because you can, there are, you guys probably would know this more than I would. What are some practices that would be considered more safe spraying wise? Cause I know there's some organic sprays that people can use. What are, what are those types of things look like? So maybe people can look out for farms that maybe do more of like organic type spraying or pesticide um, than obviously the conventional carcinogenic forms. Yeah. So um, because we uh, don't have much experience with, especially I would say produce heavy um, farms, we don't know all of them. I do know that for our garden, um, we've used neem oil and things like that mm. to get certain bugs away. And that's something that people do, which is obviously very, very clean. Um, as far as a bunch of other sprays that are clean, I'm not too sure. Though one thing I do know that's very effective that a lot of people will use in their gardens, um, or you know, some people, most people just opt to spray, but is, you know, ask farmers if, if they can like, uh, or if they s- kind of systematically plant other flowers around what they're growing, because there are certain flowers that will help essentially repel bugs and things like that. And we do that in our grow boxes. I think it's marigolds that we plant in the corners of our grow boxes, and that helps to keep some of the bugs away. Um, and there's other things too, pretty much really playing a chess match with planting certain plants that can repel different bugs and things like that. Um, so those are the two that come to mind is, is neem oil and that you can use plants to keep certain species away. Yeah. There are some plants that you can plant, um, that will attract certain birds that will eat the bugs, but not your, your produce itself. Um, so that's another question you could ask your farmers is is what do they do for, you know, bug repellent? Love that. Love that. I'm, I just wrote that down because I just was doing some, I did some seedlings yesterday that I've got growing in the house. And so maybe this weekend I'll get some marigold flowers to kind of start planting in the garden. What are some things that you guys grow? I'd say the basics primarily of, um, tomatoes, especially we love the heirloom tomatoes. And once you have those buying a store-bought tomato, even if it's organic is like really sad. Cause it's just so it is. I know the flavor is just not the oh, same. Man, it's awful. Uh, cucumbers are big. And the last couple years we've, uh, 
canned and pickled some of those. Um, Potatoes, the last year that turned into a jungle and we ended up putting the pigs in the garden to find the potatoes for us. But uh, yeah, potatoes, eggplant, and then herbs. Herbs is also always a must, you know, Um, sage, rosemary, basil, thyme. Those are classics. Nice. I've done potatoes once, but I've done them in a bucket. So I throw Mm -hmm. the sprouts in the bucket, cover them with dirt. And then at the end of the season, I just kind of dump the bucket over in the garden and kind of find them that way. Because if I were to do them in the garden, it totally would be a a goose chase. I would not be able to find them. Yeah, you'll get like elbow deep in in dirt and mud trying to find those potatoes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But that's a good idea to have the pigs and stuff go after them. Um, kind of circling back a little bit to raw milk, what, what type of cows do you guys have? And what, if, what questions would you say would be beneficial for people getting raw milk? So yeah, Um, that's a great question. A very niche question sometimes, because we love to talk about cows, but not that many people ask. Um, so the, actually the current cow that's in milk right now is a Jersey Guernsey mix. And if people know anything about raw milk or homestead farming, um, they are probably familiar with those two breeds, very, very popular breeds. So, um, and what's really cool, especially a Guernsey, see with milk cows, you have sometimes two different categories. You have cows, you have breeds that are known for producing more overall milk, but less cream, um, you know, less cream percentage in that milk. And an example of that would be a Holstein which if, some people might not know what that is, but everyone's seen them. They're the classic white and black cow that you think of. You know, If you were to draw a cow, you would probably draw a picture of a Holstein. So they produce massive amounts of milk. They are this uh, typical production uh, cow that most big dairies use. They don't produce a lot of cream, and um, they're, you rarely ever see those on a homestead because they produce way too much milk. And most homesteads rely on cream to make things like butter, um, you know, or just keep the cream for, for other things. You know, the cream is very important to most families or family farms. So you don't really see too many of those Holsteins. We also have a Milking Devon, which is, I, I wouldn't call it rare, but more unique. It's a beautiful kind of red cow with big horns, and she's awesome. And I think, I would say what most people should perhaps ask or, or be aware of with raw milk more than the breed, most people's Jersey is by far the most common breed, probably followed by Guernsey or Swiss on a homestead that people are going to get raw milk from. What I would ask is if they skim the milk, oh, skim the cream, because a lot of farms, you know, they they'll sell the cream separate, or maybe they sell raw butter, so they have to take the cream from it. But we've gotten questions from people where they'll like send us picture of their milk jar, and the cream line will be very small. And they'll be like, what's going on? Is this normal? And most of the time, if that's the case, probably the farm is skimming the cream, which isn't like the end of the world. It's not like these people. No, but that's say, where all the good stuff is. That, 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 that's what makes it awesome. Yeah. So it's not like it's they're evil or anything, but most people who get raw milk want that classic creamy, rich, you know, mm-hmm. flavor. So it's definitely pretty disappointing if you, if you have watered down raw milk. So I would just ask that. And most people will be able to tell it pretty fast. But yeah, if, if, if someone is looking into getting raw milk or going into a herd share or however they get it, that's definitely definitely worth um, asking up front. 
And I'd also ask, like, if you're at a farmer's market buying raw milk for the first time or going to a new farmer for raw milk, ask questions about the cow's diet. Um, mm. Because a lot of farmers, you know, most farmers who are going to do raw dairy, they're going to have their cows grass fed. Um, but there's different kind of, there's different levels of grass fed where I knew one farmer, he sold his grass fed raw milk. And that's what it was labeled as. But the cows were on kind of tight quarters for the farm. So they just ate hay all year round, mm. which is fine for the winter because obviously there's not grass growing. But during the summer, if you want, if you want the healthiest uh, raw milk, you want cows that are eating green grass for as much of the year as possible. Um, and his raw milk, it was fine. You know, it was good. But having actually green grass eating cows is much different than year-round hay eating cows. And a lot of people can sell raw milk as grass-fed raw milk, but they will give grain at feeding or at milking time. Mm. Um, oh, really? That's such a waste. Yeah. So, so that's kind of, you know how when you buy beef, people are like get a hundred percent grass-fed because it means grass-fed and grass-finished. Kind of the dairy version of that is usually a hundred percent grass-fed is going to mean they're actually fed grass or yeah, whether it's during milking time, maybe they get uh, hay from the grass or like organic alfalfa pellets or whatever. Um, so that's another thing to watch out for because definitely there's dairies out there that will call it grass fed, but they'll give grain when, when it comes time to milk. Oh, okay. That's good to know. What about for the people that ask, okay, well, I thought that dairy was super inflammatory. Like even if you can digest it, isn't it super inflammatory? Yeah, right. Well, that comes when you pasteurize the milk. It gets rid of lack, uh, the lactose. Or like, the lactose. lactase. I'm sorry. The lactose stays in it, and it, the pasteurization gets rid of the enzyme lactase. And that lactase is in there uh, to help you digest that lactose. So when Tommy's telling that story about his brother, lactate, that's when they put synthetic lactase back into milk that has been pasteurized. Which, you know, it's like, okay, then why pasteurize it if you're just going to put right. that? And that's what really causes the big time inflammation in uh, a lot of people. Okay, that makes sense. And does it matter? And I know I've heard some things about, you know, A1 might be a little more inflammatory than A2 because of the casein protein in there. Do you, do you agree with that? Um, you know, we we wouldn't doubt it, though we've never gotten too, too far down the whole A1, A2 debate so much and and to be honest that that's probably comes from our uh you know when we started getting into raw milk we almost like that's when our health journey i feel like started to step away a little bit from just maybe all the scientific stuff right and it started becoming mm -hmm. more about like reconnecting really with like the soul and spirit of your food mm -hmm. and i mm -hmm. guess just for that reason we never like completely dove into the A1, A2 debate just because say you have a cow that's A1, but it's extremely healthy. It's out on fresh pasture. It's living in a vibrant, thriving place. I guess just our common sense, may maybe that has come from working on a farm for the last handful of years. We just can't look at that cow and be like that that would be unhealthy. You know, the milk that comes from mm -hmm. that, no matter what it's labeled. Um, but that's definitely something people get into. I've heard someone told me a story that their cows are, I think I heard a story that someone like bred a lactose free 
cow, which to me sounds like something someone would tell at like a drunken hunting club meeting or something, you know? So I don't know about that, but uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there because I guess that's like the ultimate cow to some people. But yeah, if if you have that lactase, it shouldn't be a problem. And, And the A1, A2 thing, it might definitely be worth looking into for some people. And if, if people have their own experiences and they're like, no, A2 definitely made me feel better, then by all means, you know, do that. Mm-hmm. But I think the main thing that people should focus on across the board, and this surpasses breed, uh, any you know, A1, A2, anything like that, is how's that individual cow living? How's it being cared for? What's it eating? Um, you know, because you asked about inflammation, and we really do believe – that a cow that's fed grain or corn or whatever it is, is going, whether it's meat or dairy, we really believe that is going to reflect in the, uh, in the person eating it as being more inflammatory. And we've even mm-hmm. heard a lot of people who are kind of on our similar side even be like, no, there's no studies to prove that grain-fed cows or grass-fed cows, like that the meat or milk is any healthier. And that just kind of goes back to the common sense thing for us is okay, maybe there's not a sheet of paper that says it, but it just seems kind of obvious, right? That a cow eating what it's literally designed and has evolved to eat and thrive off of, of course, that's, that's gotta be healthier than something that's stuffing its face with genetically modified corn and grain. Um, Exactly. I think blending some of that common sense back into people's health choices can take them a long way. Cause I think sometimes people get a little bit paralyzed by, um, is this proven? Is there a study on this? Is it, and that can be helpful. We're not saying there's never a time and place, but, but common sense can definitely go a, a long way. Yeah. I like to, yeah, absolutely. I like to think of if you could go back and talk to like your great, great, great grandfather and he hands you a glass of milk and you say, Oh, is this, was this proven? Like is it scientifically proven that it's healthy? Like how would he react? Yeah. <laughs> So true. I know you think about, I mean, you just think about any chronic disease, even a hundred years ago, there wasn't, it wasn't like it, like it is now. It's Mm -hmm. so I think when we can get more in tune with what's the most natural state, what's most, and I, I I totally agree. Like I, I, I think the dairy that we get is a two, it's raw grass fed a two, but those, you know, I'd rather take really, really healthy A1 that's like living a better lifestyle than an unhealthy non-grass-fed A2. Yeah, so I think it definitely point. comes with context, but I think that's also a good point. You don't want, you don't need to necessarily get completely wrapped up in that because how is the animal treated? What is it fed? And what type of life does it live? I think that's definitely the most important question. Yeah. So what do you guys say when you get, I don't know if you get this question, but what um what about if i get sick because it's not pasteurized won't i get sick because of the the bacteria yeah right well it kind of goes back to like we were just talking about well it depends on you know any kind of food can get you sick just but if you know you if it's raised incorrectly um you know you can go you can go ask your farmer to go check out the farm and if you see he's got you know he doesn't wash the udders there's poop in the bucket um, there's, you know, flies in the kitchen where he, or flies in the room where he cleans everything. If he even cleans everything, like, of course, yeah. Then stay away from that raw milk. I'd, I'd have to agree with you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, um, absolutely. on that point, uh, I, I think people too, I guess there's a couple things. One, a local farmer who 
is kind of in some ways, especially with raw milk, depending on the state, they are taking a risk selling it to, to the public because, you know, that's a narrative that's out there. They're going to typically be much more concerned with your health than that of like a big farm, right? Because a big farm, first of all, it's much, it's going to be much harder to track it down and they get a little slap on the wrist if some, you know, E. coli or whatever outbreak gets tracked back to their food. They pay a fine and then they move on. Whereas if a, a local farmer gets in trouble for it, that could definitely threaten his livelihood. So he's going to have, uh, you know, a lot more at stake, and in most cases, going to be a lot more um, aware of the cleanliness and quality of the product. So he has a much more vested interest in making sure that you stay healthy. And the other thing too, and this is a really big thing that people should understand about raw milk, is look, if you drink some raw milk. And maybe it makes like you have to do a couple trips to the bathroom or your stomach hurts or whatever. That doesn't mean that it's unhealthy. It you might be detoxing, right? Like you, that raw milk might have just given you the most perfect healing response that your body needed to detox some things, or maybe your digestive tract just turned on, you know, fully functioning for the first time in years, and that's why like you have a little bit of a belly ache or you're going to the bathroom. I think people have to understand that health and comfort aren't always the same things, right? And, um, you know, I'm not saying like, okay, if you get like massive food poisoning and you're in bed for weeks that maybe this, the, the milk source wasn't bad. But um, because I remember the first time I ever had one of those like superfood living probiotic, like green food powders, you know, with all these things, mm-hmm. uh, I was coming off of just, you know, standard American diet. And I took that thing and I you know, let's just say my bowels were like insanely active for a week. Does that mean that the powder was evil? No, it probably did me a huge favor, though it wasn't fun. It wasn't comfortable. So I think, yeah, that fine line of if you can make sure that the source is clean and trusted and all these things, and you can ease your way into the raw milk, then you're like, I would say 90% of the time, you're going to be fine. And then even if you do have a little bit of a reaction at first, don't freak out. Don't hit the panic button. Don't automatically subscribe to raw milk is dangerous or milk is bad or milk makes me sick. Um, sometimes your body needs to adjust and adjusting is extremely healthy, but it's not always like cozy and comfortable hundred percent of the time. So I think, exactly, and I think that's a narrative that needs to go across health in general, right? Not just raw milk is healing is not always comfortable. Um, and, and I know, you know, especially as a chiropractor, I'm sure, you know, that's a huge part of what you do too, um, mm-hmm. is that the body knows how to heal itself. It might not be comfortable, but it doesn't mean it's not not working. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. And I think it's so true because, you know, if you have sushi and it might give you a little bit of a stomach ache, granted, like there could be, you know, other stuff in there, parasites, whatever, you know, it's not like you just completely probably write off sushi unless you're like violently ill, which if you get a little tummy ache from, I think I had in all of the years that I've drank raw milk, five plus years, I think maybe right in the beginning, I had a slight tummy ache where I just felt, oh, that, you know, I just feel things moving. I didn't have any other issues. I wasn't throwing up, going to the bathroom, no issues. But like we had you had talked to a little bit earlier, there's so many different living organisms that it, you know, kind of might be altering your microbiome mm-hmm. a little bit for the better, ideally. Mm-hmm. But like you said, sometimes when you are, you know, if you have a horrible microbiome, you know, it can be adjusting at first. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so are the probiotics in the, just the different bacteria strains, are those coming from, you know, the skin and like the udder of the cow? I know that those are like cleanse and stuff first. Are those like naturally occurring? Like they would be say in something like breast milk, um, maybe a little bit of both, both on like obviously the environment that the cow is living in. That's why you want it to be clean and internally. Yeah, right. Well, so cows, they're ruminants, which means they have multiple stomachs. Mm -hmm. So the grass that they eat has time to basically ferment like like a kombucha. It's fermented tea is what kombucha is. That the milk inside the cow is all the vitamins, all the green, healthy stuff that's in grass. They eat, they consume. It ferments in you know multiple of their stomachs. And then eventually that process, they turn it into milk that's bioavailable to us to drink. So the yeah the probiotics comes from the fermentation in the cow. It's really just a testament to how like magical a cow yeah. is. It's no wonder they're sacred in so many parts of the world. They just turn uh, grass that we can't eat yeah into you know the most healthy superfood in the world. And and exactly. uh, on on that point, not not to go back to a topic we were talking about um, a minute ago, but I, I think it is interesting for people to to know we were talking about the breeds of cows. So a Jersey, this is what I've been told, a Jersey cow, um, one of the reasons why it can make such good creamy milk is because apparently in most grasses, there's some chemical, I forget the name of it, that they can't fully digest and put into their, their muscles. So they store it as fat. And of course, that fat then shows up as cream in the milk. So that's one reason why a Jersey is highly sought after. And also... Um, on, especially on the homestead level, jerseys are also, you know, especially steers and things like that are also slaughtered for meat. And a lot of farmers will tell you that jerseys have some of the best uh, meat, which to, to, to the normal person might not mean much. But, you know, jersey is seen as a dairy cow, but they say that they store that yellow fat so much in their meat, too. Or like, you know, it doesn't get turned into muscle. So when you cut... Um, you know, cuts of Jersey cow's meat, a lot of times it will have just beautiful yellow marbling of fat that you, you don't get on a lot of uh, a lot of other breeds. So that's just an interesting point um, that I wanted to mention when Luke was talking about how they break down the grass. There's apparently some breeds that, um, you know, even react differently. So that's why they can produce all this awesome cream or have this really good marbling of fat when you eat their meat. That's super interesting. And that makes a lot of sense because what is more satiating meat that's got, you know, healthy, not copious amounts of fat, but like I personally prefer fat that or meat that has a little bit more substance to it. I don't really love lean meat. It doesn't leave me feeling satisfied. So that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. And then they naturally do that. And the ability that their bodies have to convert grass into like copious amounts of different vitamins, vitamin A, you know, B vitamins. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I really do feel like it's been villainized for so long. And I think when we talk about dairy, the first thing I say when someone asks, should I eliminate dairy? Well, what is the source of dairy? Are you just having like conventional dairy or are you, are you getting raw milk? Are you making your own raw milk yogurt or getting, you know, non-homogenized? I know here in New York, we can't get or raw milk in the store, but I have found a local market where I can at least get non-homogenized. So that's at mm -hmm. least a little bit better, but yeah. you can make your own. And do you guys do any of that stuff? Like make your own yogurt or keeper? Yeah. Um, our favorite is butter for sure. I, I think, 
that might be like the king of dairy products. But we've definitely okay. done, definitely done yogurt, definitely done kefir, some some farm cheese, which is just like a, a very quick, simple uh, cheese that you can pretty much have instantly. So we've never gone crazy into like the aging of cheeses, but um, yeah. And then with an ice cream maker, you, you scoop off some of that, mm. cream, get some like uh, local honey or maple syrup, and that's uh, that's insane. <laughs> That is so good. We have one of those too, and we we love making raw milk ice cream. And we don't really sweeten it heavily. We'll sweeten it a little bit with, actually, we actually should use. I have some local maple syrup and local honey, so we should use that because sometimes we just use raw, organic sugar. But mm-hmm. I should use that. Like that would work so much better. We, we and it doesn't do. need to be. It's so satisfying on its own. Yeah. Oh man, we um. I mean, we'll sit there and eat. I don't know. Probably like a. Definitely there's been times where each person has had like a quart's worth and you don't feel like you had just had a quart of ice cream at all. Like um, you feel like you probably just ate something that was really healthy. Yeah. Like as a kid, when we'd eat those big things of ice cream, you'd like, you couldn't move for like hours afterwards. (laughs) You like a, you know, a ton of breaks, but with this, uh, with the, you know, raw milk ice cream, you feel uh, like energized. Mm -hmm. And and another cool thing too is when when you make, uh, when you make the cheese, you get the except the way separates right, which is obviously mm-hmm. most people would, I don't even think have a concept of like where whey comes from because we're just used to it in a powder form. But it's right. liquid whey. So sometimes when we make cheese, we'll also throw a little bit of that in like a raw milk smoothie, and you don't really oh, taste good idea. it. And that's like that's like primitive way. You know, we've we've talked about. Yeah. The, we we've talked about like selling that at farmers markets, like mason jar bottled whey. You know, that's a great idea. So no, if if that's anyone, a really good idea. If anyone out there steals that idea, we're we're coming for you. You know, but uh, <laughs> no, but that I think I would love to see that at farmers markets, like whey and you know old school jar bottles. That'd be so awesome. That would be awesome, and I would totally buy some, and you guys can just ship it to me. Because, I mean, then you could just flavor it with whatever. You can flavor it with whatever fruit you're putting in your smoothie. You can flavor it with, like, organic cocoa or whatever. I mean, that would be so good. Um, Well, this was amazing. I am so excited to go drink some raw milk after this. Um, Can you guys let the audience know where they can find you, where they can connect with you? And if you are, if you do sell at a farmer's market, feel free to plug that too so that people can i don't know where where you're located i know you said virginia but um maybe there's someone listening who might be able to go yeah so um we don't sell uh at farmers markets or anything um mainly we we just keep it for ourselves that's selfish i know but uh, (laughs) smart but people the good stuff exactly people can connect with us uh on instagram at raw milk and deadlifts or our website which is rawmilkanddeadlifts.com. And um, mainly up until this point, what we've done is we just have some awesome kind of farm-themed merch, hats, and T-shirts and stuff like that that is all based around raw milk. And uh, it's really fun, uh, attention-grabbing designs that help spread the message. So whether someone's into fitness and wants you know, a very head-turning, attention-grabbing shirt or hat that no one else is going to have, or if they're more into the farming side of things and wants something that preaches that message that's super comfortable and handy to work in, um, or they just love raw milk, 
they can uh, they can find the info on on some of that merch on our site or our Instagram. And um, we will be at a few upcoming events um, as sponsors and vendors uh, coming up at not this weekend, but the next weekend we'll be at a Homesteaders of America conference in. Tennessee. I actually forget the name of the town. Is it Columbus, Tennessee or Columbia, Tennessee? We'll, we'll figure it out when we arrive, but, uh, that's, that's where we'll be. Then May 7th, we will be at Polyface Farms in, um, Virginia, which is Joel Salatin's farm. And we will also be going back to Polyface Farm for an event in late June. Um, so we'll have that information on our Instagram too. People can see where they can connect us up, connect with us in person at those events. But, uh, yeah, if nothing else, definitely follow us or shoot us a message uh, from our site. We'd love to love to hear from people. That's so awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come out and chat with me. I really appreciate it, and I'm really happy to connect with you both. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much. It was awesome. Really great.